Oh wonder, how many goodly side quests are there here? Oh brave new world that has such NPCs in it! Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. This week we talk about open world games. What makes them work as experiences? Do we want to be told what to do? Or do we want to carve our own path? It all depends! I'm Maddie Myers. I'm Jason Shire. And I'm Kirk Hamilton. And hello. 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 Hi. It's us. Welcome back. Yeah. It's we us have, again. You, everyone out there should be extremely grateful that we have all managed <laughs> to pull ourselves away from Elden Ring to record a podcast. <laughs> Barely. Barely. It's really weirdly true. <laughs> <laughs> this is I don't not think a that's joke. ever been all so true. All of us are a little bitter that we're not it, playing Elden Ring right now, and yeah. that we're looking at each other's faces instead mm-hmm. of like some horrifying gaping maw of some <laughs> right. ungodly being. I'm seeing two smiling friends instead of the back of a helmet. Do you think I can get away with playing <laughs> while we record and like have you guys not know? I guess you guys would know because you can see. Right, me. right, right. Like if if Jason's eyes glaze over, he's like, uh huh, uh huh. Then we know we we. You hear him right. clicking a little too quickly. If I'm yeah. talking and then suddenly Jason's like, fuck. <laughs> I may have done a call this week where I was playing while on the call. Wow. Don't tell anybody. Yeah. Were you farming or were you doing something hard? No, I was just exploring. Just yeah. Right, 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 right. Just clearing <laughs> like, some yeah, mobs. That sounds great. Cool. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <fuck> yes. <laughs> Should they just hear me scream cursing? This is a video game podcast. You appreciate it. You love it. You're so grateful that we're recording and we're not playing Elden Ring. <laughs> <laughs> we would never do that to you. And no. if you support that, and I know you do, then you should consider extra super double supporting it by going to MaximumFun.org slash join and becoming a MaxFun member. And if you do, you will get access to our month- monthly Monthly bonus yes. episodes. Monthly yeah, bonus. that's it. Monthly bonus. We love a good bonus. Um, monthly bonus. My favorite My favorite Elden Ring character is monthly bonus. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> Uh, our monthly bonus episodes, and this month, I feel like this is this is justice for Sweet Coden in a, in a way. <laughs> Except it's like fun justice. Uh, Jason is going to finally watch Die Hard, which is a delightful film, and we are all three going to spoil it. We're going to analyze it. We're going to talk about how it's a video game. Jason's never seen it before. Kirk and I enjoy it a bunch. Gonna be great. Yes, Early roll so for excited. Alan Rickman. To hang out with John McClane. Early roll for Bruce Willis. Well, early-ish. Um, mm-hmm. Different, different role for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so that's that is our that is our bonus episode this month. But today we're gonna talk about open world games, not just Elden Ring. We no. will restrain ourselves <laughs> somehow. We no, will talk this about is open a, world games. This is a way to In have general. a second Elden Ring episode, sort of. <laughs> Uh-huh. Um, so I was thinking a little while ago that we wanted to, we're going to want to talk about Elden Ring a lot because we're all obsessed with it. <laughs> we're all souls pilled. We're all fully <laughs> souls pilled at this point. And also that the three big games that we've been talking about recently and that I've at least been spending so much time playing, good Lord, has been a real <laughs> shift in my life this last month. I kind of like didn't yeah. play that many games for three months and now suddenly I'm a just... All you did was play three massive open world yeah, games. Yeah, I am just a gamer. February was the month of being a gamer. <laughs> Cheeto crumbs all over. I can see him. Like your Kirk, face Kirk. Kirk's entire mouth is covered in orange dust. Just oh, on yeah, every call. Fully. We just, just haven't been mentioning it. I have it. all my That's snacks right here. Um, so Dew I was stacked up in the, in the background. <laughs> so I've been thinking about how these three games are different. I think we all have been. Because each time we're playing a new one, 
there's also kind of we're simultaneously playing the one before it and comparing all three of them. So these three games are Dying Light 2, Horizon Forbidden West, and now Elden Ring. All three open world games. And I would say all three very different games. So like the open world way of like describing a game is uh, not all of that helpful like as a term because so many different kinds of games can be open world so i thought it would be interesting if we talked about comparing the three games and like what they do differently what we like and what we don't like to kind of determine what each of us individually likes in an open world game come up with some maybe some new language or some new ways of thinking about open world games so time for a taxonomy so i'm gonna do a a quick this is a i guess you could call it it's really kind of a personality test it's like myers-briggs for open world video games okay are the games taking the test so we're taking it on their behalf or okay great the game is taking the test and i call it eco tag the open world personality test so the very short version of this and i won't go on it at super great length here because i think i think we'll all get it and then we can just start talking about it we all already get it but yeah go ahead they're like oh eco tag <laughs> sure yeah, you yeah. have me at eco tag so those all those all stand for something um, open world games can be categorized according to three different metrics that you can think of as kind of sliders on a character creation screen so they're not like flip switches you're kind of somewhere in between but you're kind of more toward one end or the other three sliders and that's eco tag so the three sliders are emergent versus controlled, opaque versus transparent, and aesthetic versus gamey. So I'm <laughs> going to very quickly explain what the three of those are. There's one question that you can kind of associate with each one. And I'll just say right now that th- this is down in the show notes if you want to read along with it, if you find that helpful. So first, you have emergent versus controlled. The question there is how dynamic or simulated is the open world? So an emergent game is one where... Lots of different simulations are like interacting with one another. There's all kinds of stuff that can happen, like um, meaningful day-night cycles where like things change, wanted systems, different types of AI, like friendly and hostile that you can manipulate, where you're making your own fun is kind of the quote, versus controlled, where the world is like more controlled, more static activities and things are kind of sequestered from one another in the world, and the whole experience is more strongly guided by the developer. So it's like more of a controlled world. So that's Emergent versus controlled, so that's EC. Then we have opaque versus transparent. That's how mysterious is the open world. So this is the second fader, and it's basically opaque toward the O end of things. That's like, you're not really sure how this world works. There's a lot of mysteries. The possibilities aren't just revealed to you. The map maybe doesn't show you all the information. When something happens, you don't always immediately know, like a thing doesn't pop up on the screen being like, you've activated like this thing, and you have five minutes until the cooldown. You're just, something is just happening, and you're like, why is that happening? So that's the opaque end. The transparent end is like, everything is very clearly explained to you. Your HUD has a lot of information. The map has a lot of information. The game is very clear about what's going on. The last one is aesthetic versus gamey. This is just the open world because we're talking about open world. So in the open world, how involved is like actually moving through the open world compared to, you know, from one game to another? In an aesthetic open world, it's mostly like the world exists you move through it like there's still a mechanical aspect to it, but it's kind of just like, it's kind of there, you move through it from place to place, but the actual moving through the world isn't super involved. And then in a very gamey open world, 
it's like parkour, climbing, stamina bars. There's like a lot of like really active stuff. You're kind of like playing your way through the world and the world itself is like a big part, like traversal is a big part of the game. So that's mm-hmm. gamey. So Death Stranding broke the slider. It was just way too far. <laughs> yeah, Death Stranding I, is definitely, yeah. <laughs> I have that somewhere. So then, so I have a couple of breakdowns. So each one gets three letters. Like Death Stranding is an ETG, an emergent, mm-hmm. transparent, gamey game. And okay. something like Minecraft is an EOG, an emergent, um, opaque, gamey game. And, you know, we can right. talk about all of okay. these. I've kind of figured okay. out what I think some of them are. But I, I'm kind of realizing when I'm playing Dying Light 2 versus Horizon versus Elden Ring, they're all very different. Like in Dying Light 2, that's a very gamey open world, right? And like mm-hmm. the big part of the appeal is the parkour. Maddie, I really liked your article about parkour in that game and how great it yeah. is. Yeah, where I compare it directly to Horizon, which in some right. ways is an unfair comparison because, well, it is and it isn't. Horizon changed a lot of climbing stuff and I think they wanted it to feel more like like that, but I just don't think that's what's fun about that game, right. sadly. Uh, there's plenty of other stuff that's fun about Horizon, but the parkour in Dying Light 2 is so good that it overshadows everything else in that game right. that is not that fun. And like Horizon is an aesthetic open world. Like it's yes. more like you move through it to do stuff, and there is climbing, but the climbing is kind of linear. It's not the same as something like Dying Light. And then I think Elden Ring is interesting because I think that is actually mostly an aesthetic open world. Yeah. Moving through it isn't really like this complicated thing. There's some platforming, but yeah. Yeah, for the most yeah, part. Like, yeah, right, but... they're all somewhere on here, but it's really opaque, and I think that's the real, the real magic of yeah, that game. That's the part that's interesting. So, Elden Ring is a COA, controlled opaque aesthetic. So, Kirk, what's yes. funny is looking at your list, looking at this metric, and then some of the examples you provided. For example, Red Dead Two is emergent opaque aesthetic, COA. Outer Wilds is controlled opaque aesthetic, COA. Um, Horizon is CTA, controlled transparent aesthetic. Um, Assassin's Creed games are uh, are what controlled transparent gamey. Anyway, point being that I think what I've learned from this exercise is that. Uh, I love opaque games and hate transparent games for the most part. At least, like, Mm. uh, transparent games make me have to tolerate the world and enjoy other stuff because, like, there's nothing that bothers me more about these massive open world games than being like, oh, 4,000 icons on my screen. Now I get to go, like, nothing takes away the mystery and the joy of exploration like icons. And if you look at all these, if you think about games, the games that are all about exploration are always opaque because the joy, the purpose is to explore. Breath of the mm-hmm. Wild, Elden Ring, um, even Skyrim to some extent. Metroid. Metroid, yeah. Metroid is a good example, although it's not an open world. But well, yes, no, the games, but still. The games where like the joy and that's like one of the main reasons I play games is for the joy of exploration so the opacity I think is like is is a really good thing Outer Wilds man all this all these games with opaque world maps work for me yeah I think it's really interesting that and especially to use these three recent games as a comparison point that yeah the opacity to me too like I've I think that's something I've really learned over the past you know not my whole life but like the past six or seven years is just looking at this list I was like oh okay like Divinity Original Sin 2 is an interesting one where the world is very controlled but it's also very opaque you never really know what you're going to find in that game and you just walk around in the world and it's like well what's this thing do I don't know and Mm -hmm. then you have to figure Mm -hmm. it out and that's such a cool part of that game Outer Wilds is such an interesting open world game because it's very controlled like it's not emergent you're not like simulations bouncing off of another even though it is a, a big 
running sim, you kind of just move through it. But the opacity, right? The like figuring out what's going on is what makes it so cool. Kirk, you know mm-hmm. what's funny? Of this list, so you posted a big list. Red Dead 2, Outer Wilds, Gravity Rush, Dying Light 2, Cyberpunk, all these different games. Of this list, every single game with an opaque open world is a game I finished. Every single game with a transparent game is a game I've not That's finished. That's so funny. Wow. The more transparent it is, the less Jason wants to check off all the it's items on so the to-do funny. list. That makes sense. I get it, Really, though. like I there's nothing I like. I am very much like a gamer who wants to go explore and be rewarded just by the joy of discovering things as opposed to a checklist, which I just can't stand. I'm just like, mm-hmm. I don't want these these four billion quests in my journal to have to tick off. Yeah, it stresses me out, too, because I will often end up in a headspace that I don't enjoy, that I've described many times on past episodes, where I feel compelled to check off everything on the list, and I end up playing more side quests I don't care about, or like engaging in a lot more of a game than I even want to, because I've kind of been hoodwinked into into checking off the items on the list for the sake of getting that feeling of, oh, I'm, I'm really getting stuff done. But even while I'm participating in that, I, I don't like it. I mean, that also means, though, that some of my favorite games are the ones where the side quests are rewarding. Like I mentioned Assassin's Creed Origins all the time because it's relatively short. Most of the side quests are actually rewarding in terms of story, but it is still a very transparent experience. You know exactly what you're getting from every side quest. There's still dots on the map. I just feel like Assassin's Creed games since then have become bigger and less rewarding for the size to a level that makes me feel less happy when I'm playing the games and spend more time with that bad feeling of just... Uh, just chasing the dopamine high as opposed to enjoying yeah. the actual experience. The side quest thing, like I really liked Horizon Forbidden West and part of that is because I was yeah. following a checklist but then the story quest that I was doing, I was finding them cool and the story was good and the story was really the thing that pulled me through that game in addition to it being mm-hmm. a fun game to play. I appreciated your advice, by the way. It like helped me with my brain problem because oh, I'm good. like, Kirk told me that I don't have to do <laughs> any of the other side quests so I won't do them. I'm only going to do go. the specific side quests that Kirk said I'm going to play. And it has helped me because I get into unfun modes and I'm sure other listeners do too. It's hard not so, to. Maddie, let me ask you something. I'm curious about this. because So the other day I tweeted that you should have a journal while playing Elden Ring. And it was like mildly controversial for some reason. Yeah, um, I saw that And I too. got like criticism and it was very strange. So one thing that became this debate was like over the merits of quest logs. And there became right. this argument from some people who are accessibility experts being sure. like, hey, a quest log can be really helpful for people with ADHD. And I found that that argument to be a little bit spurious. And I I say this as someone who is like very much pro accessibility options like color blindness stuff and UI stuff and even easy modes. I, I, I think games like Elden Ring could, sure. could even benefit from an easy mode. But that argument struck me as a little strange for, for a couple reasons. One, because um, I think that a quest log is a design choice that can really change the nature of a game for people who are looking at it. And mm-hmm. two is because I actually think like, I mean, ADHD notwithstanding, because you can make an argument that like for some people with ADHD, quest log hurts them. But mm-hmm. also you could say that like a quest log, it, its existence also creates accessibility barriers because like yes. if you have 
an obsessive if you have OCD or right. if you even yeah. if you just have a personality where like, like I'm describing where exactly. I, I feel right, like right. I end up in an anxiety loop. Exactly. Of like I need to check off everything. And it actually makes it much easier for me to play the game if I can turn that off. Yes. Yeah. So I was actually thinking to that point, I was thinking, hey, why aren't there arguments about being able to turn off a quest log and like those markers? Like a lot of games offer you the ability, as Kirk has noticed over the years and, and <laughs> preached to turn off the mini map, to turn off parts of the UI but like there's never really an option to be like okay I want the quest log completely gone I want like all the the UI map map markers to be gone that that doesn't really seem to be as much of an option I wonder if that will emerge especially post Elden Ring because I feel like Elden Ring is I mean I'm sorry we're all we all stand Elden Ring okay we're all gonna talk about it (laughs) because one of the things about it that I'm loving so much is the fact that it has such a minimalist map some of the only markers you can see before you unlock things are the markers to unlock more of the map. And even then the dots on the map, as it were, are like topography. It's like, oh, there's a cave over there. Sometimes there's something in the cave. Sometimes you go over to the cave and there's nothing there. And you're like, okay, it just looked cool on the map and there isn't anything over here. And that owns. The the point that I was going to make is that I think by stripping those icons, it would be like an emperor's new clothes thing where like suddenly the the poor design of some of these open worlds is revealed yeah. because the the brilliance of Elden Ring is that you don't need any of that. You don't need guidance. You can wander and find something cool. Whereas if I was playing like some something like Horizon, and not to pick on that game, but it's just most recent in my head, um, so much of the world... Or Dying Light 2 does it too. Yeah, Dying Light 2. So much of the world is so samey that I feel like I need the map markers to know where yeah. to go find something interesting, where to go That's find true, a quest. Because it's and marked so, on the map. Yeah. Exactly. So I think that like really what Elden Ring should be showing open world design is that your world should be less vast and sprawling and more dense and interesting. And also vast and sprawling because it is a pretty vast and sprawling world. But yeah, um, I, I see what you're saying. Yes, it is. But it doesn't even feel vast and sprawling as a world. It feels because I don't know. There's something about the way it's designed, the density of it all that it mm-hmm. feels even though it's a massive, massive game. Like I played like 66 hours and I feel like I still haven't seen Same. giant chunks of it. Yeah. If it's a massive, massive game, but it doesn't feel like a big ass open world where I'm just like riding around for for minutes on end without seeing anything because there's always something interesting and I think the density of it all is is maybe it just makes it feel smaller than it is in a good way it's such Mm -hmm. an interesting difference just that there are things in Elden Ring that are kind of systematized like tunnels and and catacombs and things you need to collect and you kind of assemble your own quest log and you could actually Maybe not now because the internet is kind of unreliable for this game. But mm-hmm. um, in a little while, you could just basically use the internet, use a wiki as your quest log yeah, to like keep track of all you, the quests you if you want to. You can almost do to. that now. I mean, it's like <laughs> the guides writers out there are trying their damnedest, yeah. including my coworkers, to come up <laughs> with their own version of a quest log for a massive game, which is a very difficult job. And right. the, there's an Elden Ring wiki. Like There are versions of a quest <laughs> log that are being filled out right. right now, and people are deciding what order they think makes sense to go in for different things. But the version of a quest log that's been most impactful for me is the one that I'm making myself. And the the way that that motivates me to play is just subtly different, but like importantly different. Mm-hmm. The way that you're describing, Jason, where I feel really compelled to do 
God, at any given point, six or seven things that I'm kind of keeping track of in my head. I need to go talk to him. I need to go look into that thing. I need to, oh, I wanted to go back to that catacombs and finish it. I need to get one Mm -hmm. more thing to give to this guy because I think he's going to give me something. I need to go here. But it's like, I'm all keeping it in my head. If something bigger and more exciting comes along and I forget some of those things, it's not a big deal. And like, maybe I'll remember them later. It's just, it is, it's like a player driven versus game driven approach to just information, to organizing your information, which it's really surprising how big of a difference that makes. Well, yeah, if the game did it, it would be like the game. This game is telling me what to do. I don't feel like doing this. And then in this case, I, I think that's such a salient point, Kirk. And I think I'm doing, doing a notepad file, so I'm not just keeping it in my head. And I found that a notepad no, yeah, file is just same. really helpful in terms of like, okay, I have to come back to this place. I have to come back. Or I like, still forget to write things down sometimes. Though. Yeah, I know. It's it's. Gonna... We do have all our like all the people I know where I can be like, hey, wait, um, did anyone yeah. do this thing? Like, can you tell me where I go? Yeah, again? I've sent you a couple of maps markers and like Mike sent me the social aspect of Elden Ring related to all this is very cool but I don't want to I don't want to derail you Jason yes oh yeah that's a we could talk about that for for ages we can we can hit that more next week yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. we'll be talking about all of this for ages (laughs) but I think to your point I think really it's such a psychological difference and this is really where where quest logs become a deficiency um in terms of a game telling you you should do this, this, and this versus you kind of thinking in your head, oh, hey, should I check this out? Should I do this? Because A, it, it just feels like you're doing it on your own, out of your own curiosity, not because the game is telling you it's important, but B, because it might not be important. And that's part of the fun. Like if something was on a quest log, just by by definition, it would be delineating to you, this matters, this doesn't matter, this matters, this doesn't matter. But part of the joy of this game is the mystery of not even knowing, like, hey, I, I glimpsed that thing in the distance. Is that going to matter? Is it important? Oh, hey, I rode all the way over here. I found this catacomb. Turns out it's gotten nothing but this boss that drops an item I don't even care about but the joy of discovering that was what mattered or like hey I talked to this NPC 10 times and she didn't say anything new but uh, finding that out was worth it as opposed to being told from a quest log keep talking to this NPC like mm-hmm. it's just it's just such a different approach and god it's so much better than, yeah. than this game would be although I feel like that is only true of a game like Elden Ring that's very well designed because I'm thinking about some of the yeah, early of experiences <laughs> I had in Grand Theft Auto and like other early open world games where the promise was that you could do anything but in reality it didn't feel that way and you weren't just naturally having these cool experiences everywhere you went or at least I know I wasn't no, <laughs> like yeah. the worlds often felt very flat like Elden Ring it, it's it's a good enough game that it truly does feel like everywhere you go there's something cool to find and discover because it's actually all been manufactured for you by very talented people but in these older versions of these games it didn't always feel that way And I used to go through a lot more choice paralysis in open world games as a result of that problem, like especially in GTA, early GTA, I'm thinking like three, two and three, um, where I would just be like, okay, I can do anything. So then what am I supposed to do? And then I just wouldn't beat the game because I'd be like, I don't even care anymore. Like everything feels meaningless to me, which isn't for whatever reason how Elden Ring feels, but it meant that for several years, I thought I only like open world games if they're transparent or if they include some type of story or something that I can grab onto, because otherwise I'm like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do in this game, you know? And I don't know if that's true anymore. Like Elden Ring is kind of proving me wrong, but for a while I, I did feel that way. I think that Elden Ring is just a different type of game and it makes up for it in other ways. So Elden mm-hmm. Ring does give you a lot of transparency and a lot to latch onto when it comes to stats and equipment and That's true. you know all of that stuff. So you can kind of hang your hat on that 
while exploring the open world. And that gives you, that can give people who want some sort of direction. Well, I'm leveling up. I'm like focusing on my build. I'm getting better equipment. And like that is just a kind of separate, separate from the open world where I'm actually really fascinated by the opacity of um, Rockstar games. So those are EOA. Yeah. They're emergent. They're opaque. And they're large. The world is largely aesthetic, even though you do drive around and get in car chases. Mm-hmm. And the opacity of Rockstar games, I think, is actually their secret sauce in a lot of ways. Like, mm-hmm. I think that Grand Theft Auto and especially, I mean, Red Dead 2, especially holy Red crap. Dead, yeah. yeah. That yep. game, the magic the of that game. The strangers, yeah. Of mm-hmm. the open world specifically, I should say. Mm-hmm. Like, we're just really focusing on that and not the story, which is like got its own strengths and whatever. Sure. Just the open world, the feeling in that game that you have for so long is like that you're really walking around in this unknowable, mysterious world where like you really just don't know. Like, why are the why is the sheriff accosting me right now? Is it because I'm like covered in dirt? Like, do I need to go wash (laughs) off? Like, what is the what's going on? It gives you this kind of it lets you suspend your disbelief a little bit and really get lost in the world in a way that's really cool. I think that um, GTA is like this too. GTA 5, there were so many myths and stories about not just Bigfoot, but like how the police work and are they racially profiling Franklin Mm -hmm. and, you know, like all these things that people would start to try to figure out about the world. Yeah, and the fact that you even can wonder that. I mean, those are the more Mm -hmm. modern games that introduce the idea of, oh, it's big enough, it's, it's technologically proficient enough that there might be systems under the hood that we don't fully understand and right. that's part of the magic of it all. And that's yeah. something that I think that people who try to clone GTA, like all of the wannabes who make open world games, don't necessarily get and they need to make up for it in other ways. So we've talked a lot about this middle one, about opaque versus transparent, and I think like that's a really big one because like I think especially all three of us, just to our specific tastes, like the opacity and then Elden Ring in particular, it's like such a like example mm-hmm. of opaque game design done so masterfully. I think the third one, aesthetic versus gamey, is actually one that has a that plays a big role in the kinds of games that I like as well. Even though my favorite games, the games that are most special, tend to be the ones that are mysteries that I have to solve. I do like a game where there's a really fun, gamey aspect to moving through the world. Like Dying Light 2, I really loved, and that's mostly on the strength of that third thing. Like, it's Mm -hmm. a very transparent game, which I think, as we've said, can really be sort of tedious or it can feel like a checklist. But moving through that checklist, like running around that world, super fun. Um, I love the emergent half of that, too. And to me, it's hard to separate those two things. Like, what I really enjoyed in Dying Light 2 is, like, sure... I know the ticky box on the map is where I have to go, but I can get there any way I want to. And I might just so happen to discover something cool on the way or just have a bizarre altercation with like either some civilians or some zombies or some other thing I can't possibly imagine. And that is part of what made that game fun to keep playing for me and isn't necessarily something that's true in Horizon where the story is the reason I want to finish it. And Mm -hmm. that's fine. It's just more taking me by the hand and telling me a a cool story. But Dying Light 2, the cool story is I was balanced on a light switch light <laughs> what, what do i call <laughs> right. this a light a over light a street a street light um yeah. and then like fell into a weird poison swamp and then a bunch of zombies nearly got me and then i like just so happened to run into somebody who was like going to eat me and they weren't a zombie and like i i don't know like that that idea of this world being bigger than you think it is and weirder than you think it is is what's really fun about dying mm-hmm. like too 
Kirk, uh, I was thinking about Spider-Man, which isn't on your list, but oh, I, uh, I wrote it down I over think here. Is is um, emergent, transparent, gamey, right? ETG or it's wait, no, it's not emergent. I think it's actually it's more control. It's more control. It's control. Yeah, it's I a mean, CTG. I guess it's controlled. I was thinking emergent and superhero of- games like Sunset Overdrive, Batman, Spider-Man. Those are all CTGs. Okay, I was thinking emergent in terms of just like you run into these random simulations, but whatever. Yeah, that's that makes more sense. So CTG. So Spider Man is is kind of the horror example of a game where it's just so much fun to uh, swing around its world mm-hmm. that you could just yeah. do that and be entertained by that and not even think about anything else. You just like swing around New York City and like look at all the beautiful the beautiful uh, uh, views of the of the skyscrapers. Yeah, the CTG is an interesting one. The controlled, transparent, gamey one. So it's like there's usually mm-hmm. a checklist. There's activity all over the map. It's not emergent in that, like, you know, there aren't a bunch of colliding systems. It's not a super simulated game. You kind of go somewhere and you do an activity. And then right. getting from place to place is super fun. Forza Horizon 5 is a recent example where it's, like, just super fun. The gamey part of it is the focus. It's like as long as those types of games focus on that part of it, it can be really fun. And I think so the thing to throw out here is that there's this type of open world game. And I would say the Ghosts of Tsushima and Horizon Forbidden West also, they're kind of the CTA, which is the the type of open world game that I would say I raise an eyebrow at the most, despite liking them. Also like assass- the new Assassin's Creed the games. New, the new, the big... latter day Assassin's yeah, Creed. Valhalla and I think stuff. the latter day Assassin's yeah. Creed games, they move more, they move away from the gaminess and more toward the aesthetics. So you're not doing mm. as much with the parkour and the movement stuff isn't as cool. You're kind of just mm-hmm. riding from place to place doing quests. And yeah, I think that that is kind of, that's been an interesting takeaway from doing this exercise is like, so there's this type of open world game where there's a big map it's really usually really beautiful. There's usually a story that's the reason I'm playing that kind of pushes me through it. And there's just a huge list of things to do. There's icons all over the map. Everything's really clear. And then moving through the world is actually kind of just like you get on a horse and then ride to the next place and then do a thing. And in Assassin's Creed, you tell the horse where to go. You don't even right. have to just, touch the controller. Right. Fly as an eagle behind <laughs> you your just horse. <laughs> press a button and then you watch the game do its thing. Mm-hmm. Relax. Oof. It's like the yeah. it's it's the epitome of aesthetic and not gamey is to to watch the the horse or the camel. It's interesting. I think that like the aesthetic gamey thing. I don't know, Kirk. You have Outer Wilds here as C O A, but I actually think it's more C O G because like traveling around in the spaceship and like oh, jumping, the, like like That's shooting true. around is more. I think gamey. it's like. That one's a little close to the middle. It could go either I way. I, I see what you're saying, though. Yeah. People always talk about podcast games. I think the aesthetic gamey um, kind of <laughs> yeah. spectrum is where you find the positive. Because if it's an aesthetic game, that's very much a podcast game where you're just riding around. I don't know. I was getting some podcast listening done in Dying Light, too. I, I feel like that maybe isn't the mm. rubric that allows for the podcast yeah, gaminess of it all. I'm not maybe sure not. what does. Well, for you, well, you were just skipping all the story stuff. So that's, well, that's true. Well, it's Dying Light, too. But it's I fine. do think, I think there's something interesting <laughs> because I think that, like, like um, there is, even though you think of the gamier thing as like you would you would think of that as a more positive thing because it's like oh more stuff to do and like you were saying, Kirk, like you really enjoyed the dying like two parkour stuff. The aesthetic thing also has a lot of pros, and I think of like Red Dead Two, like just riding around on the horse in that game, and so many right. of the moments and mm-hmm. the beautiful moments in that game just would not. I be. think Ghost of Tsushima mm-hmm. as well, first and Horizon for that matter. I mean, absolutely, it can be very appealing. And while I think we're identifying things that we individually prefer, none of these things is better than the other thing. Like I, mm-hmm. for a long time, I always talk about how I love games that are really emergent where there's lots of simulation which I do like mm-hmm. and I like poking I like Hitman I like that kind of thing 
But especially looking at this list, I mean, a controlled game where you're really getting what the developers wanted you to have. Outer Wilds is a great example of a game that uses control super brilliantly. So is Elden Ring. I mean, Elden Ring is not a super emergent game. It's very controlled. It's just like incredibly well made. And so you're having this like tailored, awesome experience and working your way through it in this in this very cool way. I don't know. You say that none of these are good, bad, but I would argue that less transparency would make most of these open worlds better. Like fewer, fewer friggin' marks everywhere. I think that's fair. I do think that there is a there's a sort of an appeal to transparent games that I want to at least shout out because I know there are people who will just they just like playing a game like Horizon. Or I mean, yeah. I, I should say not to project or imagine people. I have liked playing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'll speak for myself. Some I people named Kirk. <laughs> so, so sometimes I like playing a transparent game just because it's nice to like open up the game and be like, all right, okay, I'm just gonna like do a couple of things and like check them off the list and get done with it. And, um, you know, that can that can be appealing. And sometimes games that are very transparent also sometimes are opaque. Like, games can kind of switch. Yeah, you're the one who always turns off all the, all the UI markers. <laughs> well, no, no, but also, like, thinking about Destiny 2, which is kind of an open-world game, it doesn't really quite fit, but there can be a game where it's very transparent. They give you a list of things to do. It's very clear on your map. But then also, they can introduce things that are opaque. I mean, Destiny 2 at its best, like when uh, The Taken King came out and we were all on mm-hmm. that huge wild ship and there was just so much mystery and stuff to do, it felt like playing Elden Ring. Like, it felt like we were all solving a puzzle. And if any of us was playing the Witch Queen, I'm sure we would have lots of thoughts. I think that Maybe it actually might yeah. be similar as from what I'm yeah. hearing is that it has that same vibe. Yeah, I think some of the games that I'm finding I really like are the games that do both in each category really well. Like, mm. while we were talking about Assassin's Creed being, like, an example of a transparent game, like, I keep citing Origins, but it's because it has so many examples on both sides. Like, for example, mm. yes, it's an aesthetic game. You can just ride the camel around. But the climbing in Assassin's Creed Origins is so, it feels so good and it's so satisfying, but it's satisfying for its own sake. Like, you climb to the top of a pyramid because it looks cool, not because you need to do that to to get to your next objective but a lot of times when I was playing that game I would specifically climb stuff to get to my next objective and treat it like a dying light too even though that's not what you quote unquote should play the game to do like you don't have to climb over anything to get anywhere you can just get on your camel and ride there without touching the controller even once but it's fun to climb and it's also very easy to climb as Kirk says but the challenge of it is like well what's the weirdest way I can get from point A to point B or like mm. oh this will be the scenic route and I really enjoyed like creating my own quests for myself, which it's not exactly emergent, but I mean, in Elden Ring, some of the stuff that I enjoy the most is the stuff that I would call emergent, like when a bear suddenly pops out of nowhere and it's like hilarious or like ambushes. But that's or... controlled. Those are often like designed. They delivered. were designed to happen to you. Well, yeah. you're right, but there are also parts of it that are emergent, though, because it's just funny. Like you'll just throw a skull at a guy, or like I don't know, things happen in that game that are silly. Yeah, I mean, I'm, when I say controlled emergent, it's not like nothing unexpected ever happens. Right? in a controlled game. Well, exactly. But there are a lot of moments in Elden Ring that are like, like the bear is invisible right. over here and like yeah, it's yeah, deliberately yeah. designed. Or like one, I have this incredible <laughs> moment where like there were there were some butterflies and I turned around to like go collect them and the floor yeah, fell out that, under me. I yeah, think that that exactly. has happened to 
everyone who's gotten to the place you're talking about, Jason, that happened to me yeah. too. Like, it was incredible. Yeah. And I just it laughed. Well, because it's just like, <laughs> hey, you you think you can go around collecting everything like a robot? Just walking like, up to cliffs, willy yeah. nilly. <laughs> um, it was so funny, but yeah, but like even then, um, I don't know. I, I'm a little bit. I just want to harp on this transparency thing just for one more minute because so many moments in these games, like I'm not even arguing against the quest logs, against the world map markers, but like just. Tail, tapering it back, like moving a little bit to the left on the spectrum, like a little bit less, just because right. sliding the fi- sliding the slider a little sliding longer. a little bit because like even all right, Horizon again, not to pick on this game, which I think is really good. Yeah, but you I just, just played, played it recently. Um, you get to a new city, and instead of having to go around and be like, "Hey, what are people saying? What's interesting happening here?" You just see four different green exclamation points, and then you go up yeah. to someone, and they're clearly arguing. And then also, in addition to them just clearly arguing and it being clear that you're meant to go talk to them, there's also a giant exclamation point. Over yeah, them. no, like, I know it's what you so mean. So unnecessary, you know, and it's so. That's such an interesting one, just to focus on that one specifically. I think that's totally true. And it's a mm-hmm. function of like the way the game has been aesthetically designed also, because in Elden Ring, there would just be one guy and like he would be alone <laughs> in a field. And then I you would know. know you're supposed to go talk to the one guy. Because he's the where, only guy. Because they're not <laughs> trying like to make a That's ta- like a completely different world design, though. Like well, Elden no, Ring yeah, is that's terrifying. What I'm saying, well, they're solving <laughs> yeah. this problem that they've introduced by creating these believable cities, yeah. which are cool. I mean, aesthetically, yeah. they're cool when you go. But then which person do you talk to? You're like me and Sweet Code in 2 talking to every single yes, person about the, where the item shop is. So this is exactly what I was thinking of as Maddie talking about NPCs. And then Jason is insisting to me that I know exactly who to talk to, and I don't, okay? I don't know who to talk to in Sweet Code in 2. I just First don't. All, Maddie, <laughs> you'll you'll get it eventually. I'm um, trying. I'm trying. Um, but Kirk, that problem has been solved. Other games have solved that problem. Like even even going as as blatant as to have a person come up to you and be like, "Hey, player," or like, "Hey, you're the savior." Like, come here, I need to talk. Yeah, to yeah. Like, what Skyrim? The problem does. has been solved in so many ways <laughs> that like having the exclamation points everywhere is just like, "Oh my god, do I really need this game?" Like, I just got mad at the game for telling me what to do. I was like, I don't want to keep talking to all these green exclamation points. Yeah, yeah. I'm just sort of observing how it works. I'm not like saying they should or shouldn't well, do this or anything. Wait, it also strips away any possibility of mystery and Maddie to your point like an Assassin's Creed game because it's so clearly signpost where everything interesting is mm-hmm. you don't even know you don't have that sense of wonder of like hey yeah. what if I climb to the top of the pyramids just for the sake of it and maybe there'll be something cool there like your curiosity is but not you rewarded already know. yeah 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 and there's nothing I love more in a game than than the rewarding of curiosity and that's why Outer Wilds is one of my favorite games ever among, among some other like exploration focused games it's just like <laughs> Like that feeling of like, oh, I poked around over here and I was rewarded for it. And the transparency in game UIs and icons and stuff just kind of kills that. It's just like, well, nothing, no no need to be curious because I can just follow all these icons. I mean, if the game does that, they then need to lean on other you know, other ways to make the game fun, which I would argue plenty of games do. There are lots of fun games that aren't super opaque. Yeah, and Horizon is super fun. Yeah, shooting robot dinosaurs is crazy fun. It's just the open world parts that, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Jason, what, do you think that Sweet Code in 2 is transparent or opaque? Hmm. I, I don't think it's an open world game, so it's not quite the same. Mm, kind of is. <laughs> but I think it's opaque, um, mostly. Like, there are no quest markers. There's nobody telling you what to do next. And that combined with the poor translation can be frustrating. Yeah. Well, no, I feel like part of how that game gets around it is by assuming that you're going to use a player's guide. 
Yeah, it could be. I mean, a lot of old games do and that. And these games that we're talking about now would never make that assumption. I mean, they might assume you're Googling it, but I feel like something like Horizon or even Dying Light 2 is actually trying to help you by being like, you don't need to talk to every single person in the town. You just need to talk to the people with exclamation points. They're trying to make it easier. It's just they're maybe making it a little bit too easy mm-hmm. to to an extent. It's kind of a balancing but, act. Yeah, but I want a game, I want a game yeah. that doesn't present that problem in the issue. Like there should never be an issue of like I get to a town and I have to go around and like 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 there shouldn't be I I shouldn't feel frustrated by the process. It should be so enjoyable to go around and do something whether it's talk to people or explore or whatever that I don't need this the game hand holding me through the process because that's mm. just a sign of like something has gone wrong in your open world game design. Um but mm-hmm. I don't know. Horizon rules, guys. Horizon, Horizon is really good. Yeah, it actually, I, it is really good. I, I feel like we're, we sound like we're being hard on it, but mm-hmm. I, I do feel like the part of it that I like is that sometimes I do just want a game to tell me what to do. I, I, think I, that's I don't, totally I can't, fair. I can't make a decision based on this list and be like, oh, this is the kind of game I like because it truly depends on my mood. And there are times where I'm like, I don't want to have to make a decision today about what I'm going to do. I want the game to hold my hand and tell me exactly what I'm going to yep. do next and tell me a story while I'm doing it and that means I like a transparent game I guess totally I just fair. don't want it to waste my time like I, I want it to be transparent but I don't want it to lead me on a bunch of to-do list items that are filler and BS that is just in there to make the game longer and bigger for the sake of marketing and not because anybody enjoyed designing those quests or playing them for that matter and sometimes I get that impression yeah I think that's a different part of this that is the, the problem world. really yeah that's a different me. well the quest- not the transparent the quest design is definitely a different component of this all than the open world um, part of it that that we're that is on the rubric we're discussing. Yes, I mean I think in the end, any combination of these letters of the eco tag mm-hmm. system, any combination of these letters can be a great game. Pretty much every game we've listed here is good, and I like all three of the games that we've been talking about: Dying Light Two, Horizon Forbidden West, and Elden Ring are all fantastic games, and I like them all for different reasons, like you're saying. And I think it's other decisions about how you use that open world are kind of what make the game good. Does it have a great story? Is it super fun and empowering? Is it really funny? Is it really beautiful looking? You know, there's so many different things that you can add to any of these types of open worlds. And I do think that it's been kind of interesting to do this, to do this, uh, you know, experiment and sort of figure out if, if we can nail this down a little bit. So yeah, I will, we'll put a link to this. I'll post it somewhere. And um, we'll make it so you can kind of look at this and make sense of it. And uh, yeah, this was this was a lot of fun to talk about, though. I think this will be helpful when we're when we're thinking more about open world games in the future. All right, why don't we take a break and then we'll be back for one more thing. Um, hi, I'm looking for a movie. Oh, I got you. Uh, there's that new foreign film with the time travel. There's an amazing documentary about queer history on streaming. Have I told you about this classic where giant robots fight? Or there's that one that most critics hated, but I thought was actually pretty good. Ooh, I know. The one with the huge car chase, and then there's that scene where... The, the car, car jumps, jumps over, over the submarine. submarine. Wow, who are you eclectic movie experts? Well, I'm Ify Wadiwe. I'm Drea Clark. And I'm Alonzo Duraldi. And together, we host the movie podcast Maximum film new episodes every week on maximumfun.org and you actually just walked into our recording booth oh weird sorry i thought this was a video store you seem like a lady with a lot of problems 
Well, Manolo, we have a show to promote. It's called After Game Show. It's a family-friendly podcast where listeners submit games and we play them with callers from around the world. Oh, sounds good. New episodes uh, happen every other Wednesday on MaximumFun.org. It's a, it's a fast and loose oasis of absurd innocence and naivete. And Are you writing a poem? No, and just saying things from my memory. And uh, it's a nice break from reality. <laughs> Is that, are we allowed to say that? I don't know, it sounds bad. It comes with a 100% happiness guarantee. It does not. <laughs> Come for the games and stay for the chaos. And we're back for one more thing. I'm going to go first. My thing is kind of short and it's it's kind of different or it's kind of random. It's just a thought I had that I wanted to mention on the show. A little hobby horse I wanted to ride for a moment and that is public <laughs> defenders. That is my one more thing. So The job? Um, the job and the, the people who do it. Oh, I thought this was going to be a new Netflix show. It is not, <laughs> in fact, defenders. a new Netflix show. No, I am actually talking about public defenders. So okay. if you've been following oh, okay, the news, cool. in addition to all of the terrifying stuff that's happening outside of the country, uh, Katanji Brown-Jackson was nominated for the Supreme Court by Joe Biden. She is mm-hmm. a first in a number of ways, first black woman nominated to the Supreme Court. She seems to be an excellent judge. And she also is a former public defender, which is super unusual. I learned this when reading about her. I don't follow this stuff super closely, but I was just reading it and I saw a few articles that were like, typically prosecutors are the ones who get posted to these positions. So it's a lot of prosecutors mm-hmm. on the Supreme Court. She's a public defender. Then I just read a lot of people talking about public defenders, and as it happens, my mom was a public defender for a very long time. So I think very highly of public defenders, people who work for the city or for the state, and they are they just go represent anybody who needs an attorney, and that's their job. And I just wanted to say, this is a thing that's always bugged me, and it's that I really have never liked the way that public defenders are typically depicted in movies and in games and in various places. And I think about My Cousin Vinny, which is a movie mm-hmm. um, that we recently watched fantastic great movie whatever like very very funny but there's the the typical character is like the hapless public defender who's sort of worthless and you know overworked which many public defenders are but also kind of incompetent and and Uh blundering and then eventually the really great slick attorney needs to come and sweep in and save the day and so very typically like you'll hear oh god they're going to give you a public defender you're screwed and and it's just like this sort of unfair trope about public defenders and I just want to say that I think that trip sucks and that public defenders rule and that any public defenders out there listening to this, you rock and you're doing super good work. You're helping a lot of people and you're great. And public defenders deserve our Thanks. respect. Hell yeah. And any filmmakers listening, stop, stop <laughs> skewing. Yeah, make defenders. a cool public defender character. Yeah, make Cut a that Netflix trope show. Out. It's bullshit. Well, <laughs> Better Call Saul is all about a, a cool yeah. public defender, but maybe not so cool. Maybe kind of <laughs> right, <a little> different. <laughs> but yeah, among the among the many weird ways that our justice system is depicted in film, that public defender trope bugs me. Yeah. Okay, so anyways, um, hobby horse over with. Let's uh, le- le- Jason. How about you go next? Since you're doing something that that is new. My one more thing is the Steam Deck. Um, on which I played Alden Ring. So let's talk about Alden Ring. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nice, um, nicely done. So for the past few weeks, I've been using the Steam Deck. The Steam Deck is Valve's new hardware. It's a portable gaming machine. It kind of looks like an like a supersized Nintendo Switch because it's really big. And it's actually weird going to the Switch after using after you've used the Steam Deck for a while because it's so humongous that the Switch feels like this tiny, fragile <laughs> little thing. Um, 
it rules, you guys. It's really good. It's like it's got some problems. It's like the battery life isn't great. It feels it's definitely pre- coming in super hot. Like while I was testing it, Valve was sending us a new email every single day about patches and stuff. So it's it's getting <laughs> super hot. Um, in fact, when I first got it at the beginning of February, it was like basically incompatible with everything in my library. <laughs> and gradually over time, it got more and more compatibility. But um, it really rules it's like this is the closest thing that i've had to like this super convenient portable pc that just plays any possible game like i will never have to beg for a switch port of the newest indie because i could just get it on steam and play it on the steam deck um assuming that it it runs well there which most games have i was playing god of war on this thing at like i think i was playing it at 30 frames per second because it runs in like high fidelity mode by default but i think i could have switched it to performance mode and run it at 60 frames a second it's like it runs things like a mid-level like a pretty powerful decently powerful pc um so what happened this weekend uh and i haven't even by the way i haven't even loaded it up with like emulators and stuff um which i'm very excited to test out because this thing is just like like a retro gaming dream come true um yeah and and it feels really comfortable by the way i I didn't mention but it's got it it feels good the triggers are good like everything's in in a good position the bumpers are a little awkward but like you get used to them um the trackpads seem pretty competent their back buttons kirk you will be happy to hear um in general it's just like a well-built machine (laughs) <laughs> and like unlike Steam, unlike the Steam machines and Valve's other kind of half baked attempts at hardware, this feels like it like really is them going all in on this thing, and that's why that's they're producing it themselves and not like working with some random PC makers to to stick their name on this thing. But anyway, so this weekend, so uh, I was going to uh, my family. Uh, I was going to hang out at my aunt's house with my family, celebrate a birthday, and so we all packed up there. And um, I had gone. I'd been pretty much playing Elden Ring every single day for the past like two weeks before <laughs> this and I was like man I'm gonna go through withdrawal I better download Elden Ring on the Steam Deck and see how it goes so I bring the Steam Deck with me and I'm sitting there with my family we're all just hanging out whatever <laughs> pull out the Steam Deck load it up and it runs perfectly it's like it's not 60 frames a second or anything but it's running totally great like I can go in and kill some bosses and so Suddenly, I'm sitting there, suddenly wind up spending the next, like, three hours. Because one nice thing about hanging out with family is you can be like, okay, mom, dad, take the toddler, and you can you can watch mm-hmm. her for a while. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting there on the couch while while my the whole the rest of the family's playing with my kid, sitting there on my Steam Deck. <laughs> You're was missing out on adorable amazing. moments. Like, her first words. Maddie, I get plenty of adorable moments. Don't worry. I'm sure you do. Um, I'm sure you do. But, like, first of all, it's just, like, spoken to the power of Elden Ring that I just could not do. Like, I, I could not get away from it. Um, and Valve made that possible for you. Yeah, it's it's this marvel of a machine where, like, never before, and I know there have been, like, portable gaming PCs and there are all sorts of, like, like things like this that have existed in the past, but never before have they made it this convenient to just, like, log in on Steam, immediately have this great interface that like works like steam big picture mode can play anything from my steam library that works which is most games at this point on this thing and it just works like a charm and then on top of that you can also go into desktop mode and like start tooling around with it like a pc and like add some apps and and add some emulators and do all sorts of stuff with this thing so it's really really cool and um i know it's like back ordered and and people can't get a hold of them so i hope anyone who wants one will be able to get one soon because this thing could really be a game changer especially for those of us with small children um who have to play games portably a lot (laughs) 
As long as somebody else is watching them at the time. Yeah. Well, I also, before that, that was an extreme example, but before that I did actually, <laughs> there was one time where like my kid was taking a nap and then she woke up screaming and I had to go get her. And so I was in the middle of a game. And so I brought my Steam Deck to the living room and like was able to sit with her while she played and like I was playing. On the, so yes, it, people, parents out there will know that portable gaming makes such a huge difference. And this thing, totally. it's really cool. I really love it. I'm going to, it's going to be part, I'm like regular part of my gaming rotation for sure. That story you tell is just cool. so like when Breath of the Wild was on Switch when we were reviewing the mm-hmm. Switch exactly. and had to go to GDC oh God, and it was yeah. that same feeling of, oh man, I gotta, wait a minute, I can just take this amazing huge game I'm playing that's with me. It's crazy. Yep. Yeah. It's perfect timing. That's yeah. very cool. Um, nice. Yeah. Um, well, Maddie, what's your one more thing? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I picked Elden Ring. I didn't yeah, realize did. how much we're going to talk about Elden Ring on this show. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about something a little bit more specific with sure. Elden Ring, which is... If you're a person who's new to Souls games and you don't know whether this is for you or not, and I've seen a lot of talk about this. I wrote an article about it um, last week at Polygon uh, about how I think people should give it a try. I don't think it's Skyrim or Breath of the Wild levels. It's just, it's not that kind of game. As Souls games have a lot of things about them that are really weird and funny, in my opinion. There's a lot of almost Looney Tunes slapstick comedy in terms of how many times you die, how weird your deaths can be. You have to kind of be willing to accept that mm-hmm. level of dying that many times and how have it be funny to you as opposed to thinking of it as a failure. That's very much the mindset that you have to enter into with these games. I don't see it as like, oh, you just have to get better and you learn something every time you die. Like, yeah, sure, whatever. That's true in literally every video game. You learn something every time you die in Mario. (laughs) You're already familiar with that. There's nothing new about that here. I do think the mindset of accepting that it's kind of funny and being lighthearted about it helps a lot or it's helped me a lot. But the other piece of it that I want to talk about. So the first boss that you hit in this game, Margit, Margie. Mm-hmm. I feel like he's French, so I've decided his name is pronounced sure, Margie. Margie. Uh, he, he's, he's the worst. He's, he sucks. I've beaten him, uh, but I, I don't like this guy. He's very annoying, and he is intended to be very annoying. He has a massive health bar, and this is one of these things that Souls games do where if you run into something that's too hard for you, it's actually telling you that you need to leave and go uh-huh, do something uh-huh. else. And that is very counterintuitive. Like, it just, the game isn't going to tell you that. But, like, what you need to do is leave and make sure that you get this summoning bell from this cool witch lady. Like, maybe you haven't even met her yet, but you got to go wander around, make sure you find this cool witch, and she's going to give you a summoning bell. It's going to make your life a thousand times easier when you can summon cool monsters to help you fight. And you're going to run around and you're going to discover all these other items and like different armor and you can like go explore the entire Weeping Peninsula which is like all this area south of you without even having to defeat that guy and there's also a way to sneak all the way around that castle that very first castle and you can explore a ton of other stuff to the north and get even more cool items and become stronger and you meet NPCs and some of those NPCs can help you in boss battles like if you're nervous about summoning other real players, um, just because maybe that gives you some anxiety, you can meet other NPCs and then those NPCs are available to you to be summoned to help you out with the fight. And that is basically like, once you got your summoning bell and you got an NPC to help you, boss battles is not that bad. It's not as bad, it's still bad. I'm not saying it's easy. It's, you still gotta, you know, be strafing and rolling mm-hmm. around, but like, it's it's not as bad. And I feel like the game, 
it doesn't spell that out for you exactly. So I'm spelling it out. I'm telling nice. you, you don't need to fight that guy right away. Well, it does kind of spell it out for you. I think it does. And I think that like people who th- like you need to like really read the visual language of the game. At the very well, yes. beginning, yeah. the first thing you see is this dude on a horse, the tree sentinel. And if you run up yes. to him, he will kill you instantly. And really, the game is teaching you <laughs> with that first thing or even the tutorial boss. Like every single Souls game yeah. starts off with this boss that kills you. And every single Souls game puts a super high level enemy in the opening area that's a really old yeah, that's old right from exactly right. yeah and the whole idea is that like hey you can run past enemies you don't have to fight this now mm-hmm. come back later you will be stronger i think that's like it's like i think the game spells it out pretty hard even though it doesn't say it to you in words it does but it, what i'm saying it doesn't spell out to you it doesn't tell you oh summoning is actually a really key piece of this game right. to such an extent that like you will be able to summon monsters that help you so even if you're against summoning npcs to help you or against summoning players which many hardcore FromSoft gamers are against summons. Mm-hmm. Elden Ring is really like, screw you. You're going to like summoning. Like, you're going to freaking like it because you're not going to be able to get through this without it. Yeah. So go ahead and like it and get some help with these things. And I love that about Elden Ring. I think it's awesome. And I just, I want to encourage people to explore and not feel really intimidated by this game. I wish more people had told me that about Souls games before I started them. They're they're not that bad. Like, I don't know. People get so weird about them. They're really not. I just, I posted on Twitter. I'll, I'll leave this in the show notes too. This great thread by a designer named Stephen Lumpkin at Gorilla Games who, talking about how like, despite the the rep they have, these games are really not that unapproachable. Yeah, it's, they're not, it's just that they're different. They're just, they teach you things in a different way. Yeah, exactly. And on top of that, I think this game in particular, because there are so many things you can do at any given moment, you can never really get stuck anytime. And in other games, you can. You can get stuck on a boss. You can get like 30 hours a game without ever fighting a single boss Uh if you you want. I mean, I think you can access the entire map without beating a boss. Like, you You can. can. I mean, not the entire map without beating a boss, but you can... A lot of it, like a shocking amount of it without being But it's also like anytime you end up in a new area and you're like, oh, this area seems kind of tough. You just leave. Yeah, you just leave. (laughs) And then you find some other cool areas that aren't as tough and you find cool items. I don't know. This game freaking rules. I just don't want people to be intimidated by it. Because I think it's awesome, and I'm I'm souls pilled, and I just want to souls pill more I people. Love it. That's my Elden Ring thought. Love it. I hope more people try it. Well, we're gonna talk a lot more about Elden Ring next week. We're gonna do yes, a whole triple play triple on it. Play. That's gonna be really exciting. Um, man, it's a good game. It's gonna be fun to talk about it more. But until then, um, I'm gonna go and play it, and I'll see the two of you next <laughs> week. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll consider supporting us by becoming a member at MaximumFun.org join. Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod, send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org, and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time. MaximumFun.org. 
Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.